Welcome. Uh, welcome to the Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church's online worship for Sunday, March 22nd, 2020. We are gathered together, even as we are part at this time, we gather together by God's Spirit because uh, we come confessing and believing that God is the one that unites us to Himself by His Spirit and that God unites us to one another by His Spirit. And so we come resting in that truth that we can be together as we worship God. I want to share a couple announcements. Uh, we are continuing to worship and to connect and to serve as a church just in new ways at this time. And so I encourage you to go to the church's website uh, and see ways to have online gatherings or to request prayer or support. We want to be able to connect with you and hear from you at this time. We'll be offering an abbreviated service uh, Pastor Brian and Jody, the director of worship, will be joining me. My name is Chad Lewis, the pastor at Lincoln Square, and we'll be leading you through an abbreviated order of worship that we can gather together before God and respond to God's goodness to us in Christ. So as we get ready to worship, let's take a moment of quiet as we prepare ourselves to come before God. Call the worship is from Psalm 23. You're very welcome to sing along with us at home. still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
let's join together uh, in our prayer of invocation. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then I'll invite you to take some time to pray on your own, to bring your own concerns or needs to God. I even encourage you to take a moment if you want to pause the video, uh, whether you're on your own, to reflect on how you're feeling, or if you're worshiping with others, to even check in with one another how uh, you can pray for each other. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge that you are the giver of life and that you are the one who has called us to worship, the one who has created us and redeemed us in Christ. And Lord, we come also to acknowledge that our hearts are anxious, that we face a barrage of troubling news, Lord, that we see all around us difficulties, the businesses, our government, economic economies, families, neighborhoods, human beings made in your image, struggling under the burden of this sickness and virus. And so, Lord, we come and acknowledge that our hearts are heavy this day, fearful of what tomorrow will bring, and also acknowledging that we don't know fully how to respond rightly. But, Lord, we remember you, O Jesus, and that you invite us to come to you inviting us to come when we are burdened and weary, that you are the one who has carried the full weight of suffering of a broken world upon your cross. And so, Lord, we come as a burdened people to you. We acknowledge you as the great healer, the one who can bring transformation and renewal to broken people in a broken world. And we acknowledge that our arms are too small and strength too little to bear on our own, all that we face. So Lord Jesus, please guard our communities and our homes and our families, guard our loved ones. And we pray, Lord, that you would guard our hearts from shutting down our empathy, guard us from considering our fears apart from you, guard us from the anxious thoughts that want to surround us, and guard us from despair. Lord, we want to join with the psalmist in Psalm 40 who cried out to you that in the mud and in the mire, in the pit, that we pray, Lord, that you lift us up and put our feet upon a rock and put a song of hope in our mouth. We pray that today that you would meet us. And we especially, Lord, we pray for those who are ill. We pray for the vulnerable in our communities. We pray for those near us or throughout the world that are grieving the loss of loved ones. We pray for our community and city. We pray especially for those in our church who are medical professionals, that you'd strengthen them, that you'd be with those who have lost jobs or lost wages, lost opportunities or lost plans, who are anxious that you would be a support to them, Lord. We pray, Lord, for our leaders, that they would make wise decisions, and that we pray that your mercy would be upon all of us, and that we know your steadfast love. I invite you now to take a moment to pray on your own and bring your needs or your confessions to God.
Lord, we give you thanks that you hear us when we pray. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. time when the world around us feels fragile, when we feel our own fear and vulnerability, it's good to hear God's words that offer us strength and hope and life in this time. This is God's word. We're going to begin with the Old Testament lesson from 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How long can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to, to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall not anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Elab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, these re There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for he will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Our gospel lesson this morning is from Luke chapter 1. Verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, 
for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your room and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will, will, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel, and the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age was also has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm thankful for a, a chance to look at God's Word uh, together with you. And we are going to look at a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, and before we look at that passage, though, I want to take a moment to introduce this. During the season of Lent, we have been looking at the spiritual life and kind of what the hope and basis of it is. And we've been reflecting on the truth that our spiritual life flows out of God's acting for us. It doesn't start with us acting, it doesn't start with our moving towards God, but it begins and it's rooted in God acting for us. And this is a key truth as we deal with the isolation or shame of sin, but it's also a key truth to hold on to in our current circumstances when we feel uncertain, when we feel unsettled, we don't know the future or fears that come with that. For we find hope not in our actions, but in God's actions for us. In Proverbs, in chapter 27, we hear these words, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And I imagine that we are all feeling that reality in some way. But as we feel that, it's also good to hear other words from the Scriptures. In Colossians, we hear, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Peace. Especially peace that can rule in our hearts, that can speak into the depths of who we are, has to be rooted in something beyond ourselves. Our plans, our resources, our goodness. And the God who is present with us by the Spirit, the God who unites us, is the God who has offered himself in Jesus as a rock and an ever-present refuge. And so we are trying to get our hearts and our minds and our spirit around these truths. So we've been looking at passages that have the language of transitional phrases. The Apostle Paul often uses the phrases, but God, or but now. And these passages offer this change that a new reality has come because of God acting for us. And so we're going to look at that again this morning, this, this, <laughs> today, that we're looking at 1 Corinthians 1, which we will hear that not many of you were wise, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. 
but God. But God chose what is foolish, what is weak, and what is low. And because of God, you are now in Christ Jesus. So let's read our passage. This is 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 through 31. You can listen or follow in your Bible. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would meet us by your spirit, that we would hear it, and that by your word you would bring us comfort, and that by your spirit that we respond in faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage together, I want to organize the sermon around two questions. Uh, the first question is, what is our passage saying? It's a good question, right? What is our passage saying? And then the second one is, how is this good news for us, especially in our current circumstances? So what is our passage saying? It's a good place to begin. And what we can notice right away is that it sets a contrast. The strong and the weak, those of noble birth, noble birth and the low, the wise and the foolish, the respected and the despised, Paul makes a contrast between what we might describe as somebodies and nobodies. Now, every human being, every person, bears the image of God. And we are all connected by being created by God. One does not have more or less dignity because of his or her status, or resources, or social importance. This is a fundamental truth of the Christian faith of the Scriptures. Yet, we know that our culture is quick to divide us into somebodies and nobodies. We know this, maybe we even felt it or find ourselves chasing after it in some way. But Corinth was such a place, quick to judge, placing great value on those who were respected, those who could be present and be strong, those who had special resources. And within this division, this understood division, Paul makes these words personal. Do you notice? He doesn't just make a contrast. He says, for consider your calling, your station of life, your situation when God called you, brothers and sisters. He's talking directly to the church in Corinth. Remember, brothers and sisters, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful or of noble birth. You see, according to worldly standards or judgments, not many of you were the somebodies, the elite, but God chose you. But God, God chose the foolish, the weak, the low, those who are not. And because of God, you are now in Christ Jesus. But God, do you see the transition? But God chose you. Paul consistently uses these phrases to describe God graciously and powerfully acting in a situation to make it different. 
And our passage is taking delight in showing us, reminding us that God has acted to change our situation. You were nobodies, but God made you somebody. Of course, not according to the standards or judgments of the world, but in ways that actually matter and last. We heard this similar idea in the passage that Brian read of David and Mary, these, those who were young, who were overlooked, would not be selected. But God chose David and Mary to be his people. In the same way God has chosen you, in the, chose you in the midst of your weakness and folly, chose you even in the midst of others not seeing you in a certain way. And God chose you not because you found your way out of your weakness, not because of your strength, but because of his love for you. Now, I don't know if this is your experience, uh, it is mine, that currently I'm receiving all sorts of emails and messages from my kids' schools, from work, from businesses, letting us know what's happening. And many of them are appreciated, some of them are just extra things to push aside. I mean, one of the things I've been receiving is lists of books I'm supposed to be reading, or shows or movies I'm supposed to be watching at this time. I'm not going to give you additional things to do. But I do want to mention one book, a novel by Marilyn Robinson called Lila. And in this novel, we meet Lila as a child. And she is filthy and cowering beneath the table when we meet her. And later on, we see her neglected and left at a church stoop. And in the middle of the novel, the reader is invited to gasp as Lila's skirt is covered with blood of a murdered man. And we avert our eyes as she enters a brothel later in the story. And Lila Robinson offers a a portrait of a woman abandoned, neglected, abused. And as the story goes on, though, she hears about Jesus, and she even gets married to a good man. But in both faith and in her marriage, she struggles over and over to believe that one who knows her, who sees her, can genuinely love her. How could it be? Maybe you can relate to such a story or such a question, but we're invited in this passage into this wonder that God is saying that He sees you and knows you, but God chose you, not because you are strong, but even in the midst of your weakness, God has chosen you now because of God's actions. You are in Christ. See, we're invited in this contrast that we're set before us to to say and to actually remind ourselves and to believe Christ died for the weak, not the powerful. Christ died for the foolish, not those who know and do what is wise. Christ died for the low, not the noble or elite or somebodies. And Christ did this so that no human can boast before God. Talked about this a little last week, boasting this idea of placing your confidence in something, saying that if I'm going to be somebody, if I'm going to have status, I'm boasting in these things. This will tell me that I am okay. Possessions or appearances or certain qualifications. To To be human is to boast. We cannot stop ourselves. We have to boast in something. And our passage directs us to find our status, our standing, our sense of being, and our hope 
in Christ. He is the one who has chosen you. And what is true of him is now true of you if you have faith in him. The one who is in Christ possesses the status of being forgiven, justified, set apart, redeemed out of bondage. And therefore, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So our first question is, what is our passage saying? It's inviting us into this wonder, into this good news of God's action in the midst of our lives, in our situation. And the second thing I want us to ask, the second question, is how is this good news for us, especially in our current circumstances? And what I want us to dwell on or to to see is that our status rooted in Christ invites us gives us confidence to be honest. The message that Christ has come for the weak invites us into God's grace, not into our strength and competency, and therefore invites us into honesty, honesty about ourselves and honesty about the world around us. We can say it over and over again because we have to remember that our faith is not an invitation into our strength or our wisdom, our ability, but rather it's our passage, our faith is being inviting us to identify even with weakness. We are in the season of Lent, in many ways a season of deep honesty. We began this season of reflection on Jesus' cross by receiving ashes on our skin. We began this season by hearing words, remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. These are sober words, and they are words that are not meant for you and me to handle on our own, but words for us to receive in the presence of God's grace and faithfulness. You see, the language of our passage, foolish, weak, low, is an invitation for us to see our true condition. In this way, Paul's message to the the Corinthian church repeats the message that Jesus was saying to all those who would gather around him, especially as they wondered why he spent time with sinners. Jesus said, I came for sinners, not for the righteous. The reality that Jesus is communicating there and that we are hearing in our passage is that we are all really weak that we all are really sinners, that none of us are righteous, none of us are in control, none of us are strong, and that we are invited by God's grace to recognize this truth. And why it's hard for us to affirm that or to acknowledge it, it is the path, the path of knowing the peace of Christ and letting his peace rule in your heart to look for a rock that's not rooted in us, but rooted in the God who loves us. I'm sure you're seeing numerous posts about people's experience with our current circumstances. I saw one recently that was titled, Some Things I Have Noticed from Being Inside My House. First, my new neighbors have put up curtains. Second, the leaves on the tree outside are beginning to grow back. Third, I own three pair of scissors. (laughs) The fourth observation this person made, I should really clean my windows. And the fifth and final, I use way too many paper towels. 
this is a lighthearted attempt to talk about the experience and maybe you can offer your own observations of being at home or in the setting that you're in. We need lighthearted responses, but we also know that there are all sorts of serious accounts as well. I read one that says this, My world began to shrink down to nearly nothing, writes Amanda Mole. That evening was the last time I left the office and rode back home on the train. Now I mostly sit on my couch with my laptop and phone, trying to keep up with what's happening in the world. Sometimes I move to the kitchen table. We're calling it plague dread. It's that feeling that seems so inescapable right now, the mix of terror and boredom. Single days are now jam-packed with news, often bad, sometimes just profoundly weird, that they feel like weeks at a time. Maybe you can relate to your world being shrunk down. CNN posted a news of a group of hikers that had recently returned from 25 days of being unplugged from technology. They had been hiking and rafting, didn't have their phones or any connection. And when the trip ended, they were picked up and the driver asked them if they had heard what was happening. Do you know about the stock market, the pandemic, the lockdown or shelter in place, social distancing, toilet paper shortages? And in the story, the hikers said that they were overwhelmed and confused, like they'd walked into a very different world. Now, we don't have to be unplugged for 25 days maybe to share some of their own feelings, confusion, or feeling like the world seems very different. And I think one way to consider what our circumstances are telling us, it's an, a chance to see a new, a new vision. One way to see our current circumstances is that they reveal the true state of the world. It has always been fragile uncertainty, a virus, and all that it brings for our personal and communal lives is a window, a revelation, maybe, that discloses how fragile the world has always been. Disruption of normal routines in the seemingly invulnerability of our lives is, as what one author says, a threat that allows us to see and talk about realities. In Psalm 40, as I mentioned in the prayer of invocation, the psalmist speaks and acknowledges his circumstances and difficulties. I am in the mud. I'm in the pit of destruction, the miry bog. And it's from this place that he prays and he waits. And he continues, the Lord drew me up and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new mouth, a song in my mouth, a song of hope. I want us to know that our passage invites us to honesty. And it's okay for us to be disappointed, disappointed about cancellations, sad over losses, opportunities, or plans. And I even invite you in the honesty of Christ, the one who has come for the weak, to be concerned about the future, to invi I invite you to cry and to express the stress that is upon you or the uncertainty of a world that feels so shrunken down. You see, God's grace in our weakness invites us to come before God because we no longer have to carry things on our own, but we're invited with honesty to come to a God who presents himself as the rock 
and the one who gives us a new song for our hearts and mouths. You see, it's let us be appropriately afraid. Appropriately afraid, but not give way to fear. Giving way to fear is characterized by meditating on the trouble by forgetting about the reality of God. It is meditating on the mud and on the bog and the pit without confessing the rock or the possibility of a song of hope, without one to cry out to or wait upon. You see, in the midst of our honesty, we have to remember that phrase, but God. But God is a form of meditation and prayer in itself. I acknowledge my fear and my loss, even my anger, but I also acknowledge God. The God who is present with us by His Spirit is the one who has given Himself to us in Christ. And that Spirit unites us to one another. And so maybe it's even a chance not only to remember God, but to see and to hear each other anew. That we can express God's care to one another or even share with a friend or a family, a pastor, a therapist, to share our fears and our concerns. See, the gospel invites us into honesty. Our status rooted in Christ invites us to honesty, but it also offers us hope. See, what does our passage tell us that's good news? They're invited to honesty, but hope. Honesty is not despair. Honesty is sharing our weakness. Sharing our weakness with God and sharing it with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But God has acted for you, and because of him, you are in Christ. And of course, we have to remember that Lent does not only consist of Ash Wednesday or Good Friday, but Lent is leading us to the promise of the resurrection of Christ, that we remember that there is something more than our circumstances. It's leading us to the good news of Jesus, the one who identifies with the weak and the foolish and the low and despised, those who are not. Jesus, our high priest, our representative, has tasted our suffering, our rejection, our uncertainty, and even our death. And the one who has entered the tomb, the tomb of sorrows and death, has walked out as the risen Christ. Therefore, he is the high priest who sympathizes with us, who invites us to come to his throne of grace with honesty. But he's also the Son of God, appointed the heir of all things through whom God created the world. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's divine nature. And Jesus, the one who gave himself for the weak, is the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for our sins, after uniting us to himself in his death and resurrection, our Jesus, the one who came for the weak and sinner, our Jesus sat down at the right hand of God as a rock and a refuge now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, Lord, for your word. And we pray, Lord, that it would speak to us that we would receive it in our hearts and that your spirit would remind us of it, encouraging us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together one more time.
Receive now God's blessing. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, may the love of God surround you now and always. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.